This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Hello, and with me, Cam Ruslan, today we have two musician academics. <laughs> uh, start with, he is, he's an academic, he's a father, he's Bungie's Bob Dylan, I've said that before. He is Asmil Yunor. Hello, hello, apa kabar? <laughs> and he's a, an academic about music and many other things, I'm sure, he, which, which I must get him to tell me. He is Adil Johan. Hi, yeah, I also play the saxophone, Cam. Uh, and actually, you two are in a band, or are in a band. Are we still yeah. in a band, Asmil? Are we? Is it still going? Yeah, it's just the country won't let us gig, man. So, <laughs> we're always a band, yeah. Oh dear, Asmil didn't tell Adil he's no longer in the band. No, no, we're... we're... This is awkward. <laughs> oh, we're always a band. No, it's just we can't play gigs, man. That's all. Oh, that's true. Okay. And uh, so, our three topics are going to be... It's, it's all music today. So topic number one is the Malaysian heavy metal scene in the 1990s and the early 2000s. Topic number two is the blues and cultural appropriation. And finally, topic number three is rock and roll versus academia. I, I've been struggling to say the word academia. I got it right that time. <laughs> so I do. Heavy metal in the 90s and early 2000s. All right. Yes. Okay. So um, where do we begin? I guess we can begin with the late 90s when, based on some research that coincidentally Azmil and I have been doing, um, heavy metal was huge in the Kuala Lumpur live music scene among, of course, young people. And it wasn't just heavy metal camp. I think it was known as the underground music scene. So it was quite a diverse mix of different music from punk to hardcore to even singer-songwriters as well You know that were playing in this scene. But the reason why I thought it was very interesting to, for the listeners to know about this is because it was a really vibrant scene that involved a lot of young people doing productive things, you know, not messing up society, not, not causing crimes. They were jamming in jam studios. They were playing gigs weekly. But then the Malaysian government at the time, in the early 2000s, started cracking down on them in a very, what, I've, what we found historically has been in a very unjustifiable way. Um, the reason why that happened was because there was this, and Asmil has actually written about this. I'm actually a fanboy of Asmil's written academic works more than his music, perhaps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> not really, not really. I love your music. I play your music, man. Um, so, but Asmil, Asmil wrote about the crackdowns in the early 2000s, and the reason why they were cracking down on this music and on these gigs is because there was this death metal scare that was happening in among Malay youth in rural areas. There were a select group of young Malay kids that were practicing Satanism and listening to black metal music that was associated with Satanism. Um, and there were like strange animal sacrifice rituals that were discovered. And then this got blown out of proportion by the media. And then they started... I mean, I, I, I'm, unfortunately, government officials and the police are not very well versed in the different genres of music, right? I mean, they couldn't tell the difference between trash metal to hardcore to you know, even singer-songwriter music. So what happened was in KL, they cracked down on all the gigs because also back then, gigs were diverse places. I mean, Cam, I think you were sharing with me earlier that you went to a gig once in in KL and you heard all kinds of noise you know? all, all kinds of music all kinds yeah. of noise it yeah. was absolute mishmash but I just want to clarify with the gig also that I went to heavy metal as opposed to punk I mean we're talking two very different 
genres, two different yeah. um, communities that people come from, age groups. I don't know. Yeah, Is but it's it? interesting because because from from my conversations with the, with the the old timers, the old ties, it's like um, yeah, the the underground scene owes it to metal. Without metal in the the 80s, there wouldn't be jamming studios. There wouldn't be the infrastructure of like gigs, and that's where the punks came in around the same time. I think that the so metal is very important actually historically speaking about our live music. People kind of call it indie, right? Yeah, so it's interesting. Well, it's a good thing we don't have Joe Kidd here because um, uh, legendary Malaysian punk rocker Joe Kidd, I'm sure, would say, "How dare you say?" No, I, I he told no, he told me <laughs> that. Way for oh, punk. Well, when who was I referring to? It was actually Joe. Yeah, he told me he, he gave me the lowdown that. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, but um, th- this uh, metal scene it died. You're saying that uh, there was a clampdown on the gigs and it died. It the end. Well, I think I think a lot of bands kept on going where they could. Uh, I think the jam studios were still open, obviously, but with the crackdown on gigs, I think there was an overall kind of demure of you know activities and and, and from the, some friends that we've interviewed a lot of them also being at the age that they were at you know transitioning out of SPM to college you know a lot of them also moved on with their lives uh, went on to to university or to work full time so there was a kind of there weren't any more opportunities for it to continue in in such a fashion you know can i ask about um, the lyric content what what kind of subjects were people in their two minute thrash metal songs screaming about yes she ironically i mean a lot of the content was actually political um for a lot of these groups <clears throat> there was a mix of course a lot of it was angst driven um but there was a lot of there was a lot of songs about um anti-establishment you know positions rebellion i mean kind of general some were were kind of directed at the racial politics of Malaysia, not all. Um, of course, some were not as explicitly political, but there was a kind of, I would say, based on the people that we've talked to, there was there was a kind of shift towards it, to the point that my friend Kenneth Soon, who played in the band New Blorong, he had to be very explicit with his band members. I don't want our songs to be political, you know. So <laughs> I think there was a kind of it was almost like a trend to be anti-establishment. You know, so you were out of the norm if you were not political with your lyrics, I think. Yeah. Do you agree, Asmil? Yeah, I was gigging that time before the raids. You know? So early on, my noise rock band, we couldn't get gigs except in the punk scene. And we used to play with grindcore bands where the grindcore bands and the punk bands were very political. You know, sometimes the, the spiel explaining the song is longer than the song. You know, they'll be talking about the Bakun Dam, environmental damage and politics. But that can be divisive too. Sometimes bands wouldn't play refuse to play on the bill because they don't like that band's politics. And, you know, even though they're billed, they just pull out. So, you you know, you had like seven, eight bands at a gig anyway. One doesn't play, you still got a gig anyway. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, can I ask about the audience? Because, I mean, I've, I have attended a few punk uh, gigs in my time. The audience, and that was a while ago, the audience were almost, almost exclusively male. Yeah. Um, kind of same age group. I mean, now they're kind of aging. But... Um, what, what audience was turning up for these uh, thrash metal gigs back in the day? Yeah, mostly guys, I guess. Yeah, men. But there were, I'm sure there were a few girls. I remember like growing up in Penang, there were a few female uh, artists as well that would, of course, they were in the minority. Um, and I think because of the, I guess, trendiness of these gigs at the time, 
eventually a lot some girls uh, who were curious about it would would come out you know um, mm. so uh, yeah but it is definitely very, very i mean you i mean you hit you hit it on the nail cam i mean of course it is a very male uh kind of practice right it's a kind of very uh maybe straight male practice that was uh experienced then well and it's um it's over then there's no metal scene in malaysia anymore oh there is i would say yeah, it's just different. It's just that subterraneanness is missing, lah. After those, those, I mean, people kind of like more cautious. I guess the venues get raided. So what are you gonna do? To this day, venues get raided. Oh, um, recently, yeah. I mean, there's still venues. I mean, but recently, I think the raids have become more about COVID. But but yeah. that but that <laughs> the reality of playing underground gig and getting raided. I think Rumah Happy also got raided recently. Oh, yeah. So you know, it's it's part and parcel of of doing underground music yeah well i i uh obviously read the the star newspaper back in those days so i understand that they were satanists and uh bad people and uh so, <laughs> ah. yeah. can i tell you something uh, in my experience of playing the scene the nicest people i ever met the most sweetest people are the one that plays the most extreme music yeah. yeah. Why you gotta yeah. watch out as the guys with acoustic guitars? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's you, isn't it? <laughs> That's you, Asmil. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about you. Um, okay, well, uh, we must move on. And uh, maybe, Adil, we'll see if we can try, try and perhaps play out with um, a two minute thrash metal song if you can recommend one, if you have one, if they, they're, they're yeah. albums around. I think your producer is a fan of the, the music. He might be able to curate something for us, too. Okay. I, I, will, I will put it to uh, producer Hanif and see what, see what he can come up with. But we're, we're going to move on now. Topic number two, which is also music related and um, related more to uh, music of my time. <laughs> I, it, uh, I was thinking of uh, the blues, the American music genre, the blues, uh, African-American, of course, and uh, principally from the southern states, but also from the city of Chicago that became um, an inspiration to so many English bands uh, from the 60s, from the Rolling Stones to the Yardbirds to, to a much lesser degree, the Beatles. And um, all young English men who were listening to this music thousands of miles away and dedicated themselves to playing the blues. And these were people who had nothing to do with the Mississippi River. <laughs> um, but I, I read a, a, an article uh, recently, and I can't remember it too well, but the gist of it was, it was uh, by a young uh, African-American in America, and he was complaining about how these English bands, Rolling Stones in particular, were doing nothing but cultural appropriation by playing the blues. They were leeching off uh, a fundamentally... Uh, African American genre, and I, and I and I read that, and I'd never really thought about it. But at the same time, I thought that's complete rubbish, <laughs> um, because but it, but it did make me think that the, the music that, the, that these guys were playing was not really the blues; it was a pastiche of it. It was the, ble- it was the best that a, a, a working class English young man could possibly do. Um, but I mean, the Rolling Stones in particular were always name checking their musical influences and help get an income, a livelihood for the likes of Muddy Waters. But yes, it is a cultural appropriation and I don't know, it's not a bad thing. Asmil, you're a musician. I think motive is very important. Right? These guys love the blues, man. I mean, they, they played it and I, I think the class consciousness in, in, in the UK was important. I think it created that compared to America, right? I mean, they, won't, they it, it took the Brits to, to tell Americans, look, you guys got the blues. 
And then they only picked it up, right? So, and I heard once also Mick Jagger wasn't allowed to come on. They don't play his, the Stones because he sounded too black. So, I mean, uh, you know, that, that it wasn't called culture appropriation back then. But, I mean, for me, blues is always timeless. Hmm. It's a tricky one. Yeah, it's a tricky one, Cam. I mean, cultural appropriation is such a sticky terrain, especially, I think especially for Malaysians, right? To think about it because yeah. we, I mean, under the under the general understanding of cult- cultural appropriation in America, Malaysians appropriate everything. <laughs> yeah. It's our yeah. forte. Yeah. But, but, it's our, but we we're proud of it and, yeah. and I think we revel in it. I think... Um, I think maybe the blues could be a platform in which, you know, that is also, that can be seen. I mean, for me, like the question is always, where is the line between appropriation and adoption? Yeah. You know, to what point does it become ours? But I think the general, the general definition of cultural appropriation is the person that takes on that art form or or culture benefits from it more than from the person of the, the originator of that culture. So I don't know. I'll leave it up to you guys to think about it. Because when you think about, when you think about it, right, reggae is then popular with a lot of Malay musicians too. So is that appropriation? Yeah, reggae and ska. Yeah, yeah that's right. So. Yeah, but it did make me re-listen. I mean, I, I love the Stones. I, I listening. So I was listening back to them, and I realized um, it suddenly made me think. I don't know. Actually, the aspects of their music were not that great. <laughs> because it was. I mean, uh, before the show, uh, Adil, you're talking about Led Zeppelin. That's right. Now Led Zeppelin. They stole. Yeah. They did not give credit. Yep. They were yep. later sued. Yep. So many of their tracks were blues songs that they just made heavier with electric guitars. And that's that's pastiche. It's it's not good art. No, I think it becomes problematic. You make wait, you know, if you make a lot of money, then it becomes a problem. <laughs> because the Led Zep was huge, right? I mean the stones played covers of the of the great Delta Blues song and you know, big Stones fans of the earlier stuff was that, right? But they were acknowledged, right? As yeah. 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 Their first tour of the States, right? They, they actually introduced the American audience to the, the blues players, you know? So I think they, at least they had that. They were ambassadors. But maybe Led Zepp because, you know, rock and roll and, you know, became this big thing. They became rich out of it. I guess that became a problem then. That's because they signed a deal with the devil. Oh, yeah. Led Zepp. I think Rolling Stones took the high <laughs> path, the high road. Yeah, no, he. I think no. Rolling Stones laid down the road for them. I think that's a problem. So Led Zeppelin just kind of went on it. Well, but Asmil, you are um, a musician, and uh, well, not to say you're not ideal, but uh, you know, uh, <laughs> singer singer songwriter. Do you feel I must play Malay music? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, you shouldn't. For me, as a musician, you, if if you start second guessing and you know thinking too much, then I think you've you failed yourself, really. I think the, the idea is to bypass thoughts, you know, too much of it. I mean, that's, that, that's a use of what I want to talk about. But yeah, I don't think so. I mean, but I feel that, for me, I write Malay because I find it an interesting language that hasn't been explored certain ways that I find fascinating. And I know what I don't want to do in Malay. Hmm. So I'm not trying to jump on the bandwagon and, you know, win awards uh, like what uh, love songs and about longing and not not this genre but also the language just language right I love I love colloquial Malay why people because growing up 80s right people were speaking Bahasa Baku and that's not the reality at all it's like why uh, why are the singers also singing like that yeah so that's hmm. interesting la. I mean like to me but I, I've never thought like you know like people call me Bob Dylan and I was like am I appropriating a Jewish 
guy from from Minnesota <laughs> or, or the archetype Bob Dylan ripped off from Woody Guthrie. I mean, the whole look and his persona, right? But yeah. it's not ripped off appropriation. I think the blues borrows things. You know, that, that's always been a tradition, right? You, you, you take what's before and then you make it your own. So, it, And if you're performing on a guitar uh, and the car, guitar has its chords, are you not already locked into <laughs> uh, musical uh, scales and genres of a European and American True. musical yeah. logic? That's right. I mean, yeah. shouldn't you have a rhubarb and kind of... Exactly. Yeah. Sell out, play guitar. Why play guitar? Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you said earlier, uh, I I think that, you know, Malaysians appropriate everything. Yeah. And, and Malay, Malays historically appropriate everything mm-hmm. without question. And, and it becomes so lost inside that you don't know what's what. So that's one of the issues with that I have the cultural appropriation. Because actually really what it's saying is, no, no, stop there. Uh, we are us. You are you. Yeah. And whatever culture you think you have, you keep it to yourself. And whatever we have, that's our thing. And they never the twain shall meet. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this music thing also is that a lot of Western music, Western classical music, is actually, quote unquote, appropriated from Eastern music, historically speaking. A lot of, I mean, if we can think about Azmil's favorite instrument, the guitar, like that's actually based on a lute that comes, that historically comes from Greece, which is from the Mediterranean, which was also very, you know, which was prevalent across the Middle East. You know, so... I mean, where do we where do we draw the line, right? As like where where does the like like what you say, Cam? Where where does that line start and where does it end? Um, we have to remember that Western music is very much appropriated. Blues in itself is this kind of amalgamation of Western and you know African rhythms, right? Very broadly speaking. So was that appropriation? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then what was Elvis Presley? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The power, the power lies actually in the appropriation. So to me, this concept of cultural appropriation is just the man trying to clamp down and, you know, divide us. Say, you are that, and, you know, it's us versus them. I think it comes from frustration, though. I mean, like, I think, I think when African Americans cry cultural appropriation, I think it stems from a frustration of exploitation that is either experienced, like, I think reflectively, it's like, oh man, this guy made so much money off. You know, especially Elvis, right? He made so much money playing, you know, doing dance moves and singing like a black man. Um, whereas if there was a black man that could do exactly what he did, which there were, they wouldn't have had that privilege to be able to to get his success. I mean, I was thinking about Elvis the other day too. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's political. Appropriation is political, which is why I feel in the case of the Rolling Stones, it's it's artistic because Cam, I mean, I think the music that they did was was very unique and original. It drew from the blues, but the original music did you know didn't chipla, <laughs> didn't steal straight up from the blues the way that the uh, Led Zeppelin did. Um, and in Malaysia, you can't even call appropriation because everyone adopts everything. It's a yeah. very different context. Yeah. I, I, just to finish, I mean, the Scorpions, German band. I mean, they didn't even know they were doing it. Have produced the most Malay rock yeah. sound exactly. <laughs> imaginable. <laughs> Quintessential Malay rock. They should, they should get. They should. Scorpions need, should get datuk shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> datuk scorpion. Yeah, no, and name, name a road, man. Jalan scorpion. <laughs> Actually, I mean, we must move on. But I'd love to meet up with them and say, did you know that you were creating the Malay sound, or that? 
How did you do that? <laughs> okay, we move on. Um, and in a moment, we're, we're going to continue our uh, theme, our rock and roll theme, uh, here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, Adil Johan, and Asmil Yunor. And now, Asmil, uh, to conclude our rock and roll theme, it's rock and roll versus academia. Oh, my God, I said it wrong. Ac- <laughs> I can't say it anymore. Academia, academia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, these are two fields just diametrically opposed to each other. And it's, it's something I've been, it's given me a, a way of earning a living, both rock and roll and academia. And I always, I still find it, I always have a conversation with Adil about this. It. like, ah, well, how do I, you know, it's like everybody's chasing me for a PhD and, you know, I'm just not, it's tough to me. I'm not natural in terms of that like, as an academic, but, Rock and roll, for example, like I told you early on, but like, you know, rock and roll is about, yeah, it's about um, the moment, you know, the you jump into it. Whereas, you know, academia is a lot more, you, you kind of uh, plan, sorry, I got my rock and roll brain on now. So you see, I can't even articulate things in <laughs> academic terms. Should we play a beat in the background? Would that would it help you think clearer? No, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky because... Academia, as not just in terms of research, but also as you know, teaching and learning, is such a structure and has its own internal logic and and power structures. Hey, that sounds we, like music. Yeah, oh yeah, it's true. Also, actually, um, that I think rock and roll is trying to uh, trying to break, but I think uh, it's a losing battle, man, uh, between rock and roll and a more academic idea of the world. Okay, look, this is, uh, Adil <laughs> Johan is an academic on rock and roll. <laughs> and uh, Asma Yunor is an academic, but he, he's, a, he's a rock and roller. Um, so I'm going gonna, gonna to get out of the way between the two of you. And uh, Adil, you justify yourself. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> I think I, I, I went down the path hoping to be a rock and roller. <laughs> and then I ended up, becoming an academic because I needed to pay the bills. <laughs> I think a lot of, a lot of uh, people who study music um, nowadays, because it's such a lucrative you know, form of, of earning a living, right? Especially if you are not a rock star. A lot of them end up becoming academics, I think, because, because you know, they, they, have, uh, they found maybe they've tapped into the discipline of being a trained musician and somehow translated that into words, into teaching. I mean, a lot of people who study music, uh, the music nerds, that's how I call them, um, a lot of the music nerds end up teaching music as well to earn a living. So kinda, their, their pathway kind of naturally lends themselves into academic institutions where they, where they have to systematically teach a course or teach students. And then eventually maybe they get tempted with the offer to do a master's. And then that master's then you know, mutates into a PhD of some sort. And they find themselves as academic staff in, in a faculty writing 100,000 word theses and, and articles about rock and roll instead of actually being rock and roll. So... I mean that's that seems to be the progression. I mean that that's that was my progression, obviously. Okay, I thought that was that was an unnecessarily apologetic uh, de- defense. Adele hit the nail there because in my faculty, I'm a rock and roller. I don't teach a music program because I never formally learned music, and it's frustrating because I can't engage with the music students because I mean I teach the film program because that's my training. 
So it, it's very frustrating because, and when you're outside there, you you in 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 the industry, I like to call it the community. I think it's a better word. You realize that a lot of the ones who are make making music, making things happen on the ground in the in the market, you know, they are not the ones who are necessarily musically trained. Yeah, but you know, the academic world is broken up into subjects, and geography doesn't touch chemistry. Um, that's a problem, right? That's, that's a, it I, is a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know, interdisciplinary uh, studies is becoming more of a thing, though. Now. And that's a buzz. That's a buzzword, by the way. Now it's interdisciplinarity. Yeah. You know? That's a new norm now, actually. Yeah. So I'm a walking. I'm a walking interdisciplinarity, and yet I'm getting the raw end of the deal. But but then you know, Asbil, then you you must find a way to connect the topics. <laughs> but can can I make a more spirited defense of uh, the academic world in music than uh, I did just now? <laughs> <laughs> I I think that. Yeah, these uh, genres, these worlds that took place need to be documented. And, and Absolutely. you know, let's say heavy metal. I, I mean, before Adil came along and told me about it, I'd never thought of it. It needs to be documented, given the respect that it was due, but also then connected to other social political waves that were happening at their time. So I'm, I'm all for it. And, and, and if I read Adil's paper, and if I'm not tapping my toes and whistling the melody i mean whatever it's like it's it's not it's not rock and roll it's an academic paper so i mean i I've, that's where i've tried to just found my my place in academia is that like me and Adil, we also work together writing about you know the major music etc i found okay that piece that's the big chunk that hasn't we there's a lot of musicians in Malaysia, but there's nobody documenting the history so every subsequent generation has no idea about the ones who came before and the ones who came before get very disillusioned because the kids don't know them. <laughs> Where do they go? Where do they go and find the, the reference, right? Yeah, well, they're not, they're not going to get refound in, um, in academic papers. Uh, like, <laughs> you know, the kids on TikTok is like, hey, did you see? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who, who knows? TikTok academia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't know. There wouldn't be like a, you know, a Glastonbury Music Festival of academic papers on... Uh... <laughs> yeah, there, there is. They're called conferences. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, and I, I mean... And can the I... kids are there. How about the opposite? I thought thinking about the opposite. How about thinking about academics as rock stars, right? I mean, Asmi and I were in the Inter-Asia Cultural Studies Conference in South Korea in yeah. 2017. Oh, yeah. And that on. was like a... That was like a festival of ideas, <laughs> not yeah. to be, and yeah. and personalities. Like some of these academics are quite the Whoa. personas. Yeah, very gonzo. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe Asmi, you want to share the yeah, about so, the, the professor we met. Yeah, this professor we met is from Taiwan. He's literally Hunter S. Thompson. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, we we bumped into him when we wanted to leave on the last day. Remember, and then we bumped into right. him. We decided to get coffee, and then he saw Adil's tag and he said, "I know your." your boss and so and I started a conversation and we stuck around and he said afterwards let's let's meet then he said what well, meet for what we're gonna have an orgy he said it's an orgy <laughs> so by what he was doing actually was he was getting all us young young academic you know and meeting that night to kind of meet each other so you know he 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 kind of brought us together and we kind of kept in touch. So it was but, an orgy of ideas. As orgy well, of ideas. Orgy of ideas. Yeah. Okay, that's not exactly Keith Moon throwing a TV out of the hotel window, but uh, it's the nearest we can get. Yeah, we did. We did two gigs. We played a gig, two gigs in Seoul, and we would tell some of these academics, hey, come, we're playing tonight. And I think none of them came. 
Mm. Uh, <laughs> well, look, here's, here's one thing about the academic world, which I really don't like, is the jargon. Um, I have read papers on uh, music, especially in culture, and it's so jargony. (laughs) And to me, the jargon, it looks like covering up the thinness of the idea. Oh, yeah, I do that all the time. (laughs) When I'm out of ideas. Just (laughs) For the listeners, an example of jargon. I can't think of one off the top of my head. It's like coding, dude. It's like coding. I could obfuscate my argument by pontificating about how post-colonialism intersects with um, intersectional ideas about uh, gender non-binary uh, explorations <laughs> of... I've lost myself, you know yeah. I mean? Intersectionality, I think. There you go. <laughs> the word you're looking for. That's right, yeah. that's right. Thanks, and, and, and that I hate. But, okay, so uh, you... Um, it sounds cool, you, man. I like those jargons. Yeah. Actually, musicians love nice big words. Yeah, right? album titles are all jargons, man. Cool well, album. I guess intersectionality could work at, at four four time, but so Asmil, you are you want to as a rock and roller, you want to dis, you just want to like destroy music, academic work. Is that what you're saying? The end. You want to crack, smash it down. Both worlds need to meet. It's like like Batman, uh, immovable force and. Uh, unstoppable force. I don't know which one is, whether it's academia or rock and roll, but I think they need to meet. I think that when I say versus is, is that I think those two worlds need to meet and kind of like understand that we kind of need each other, even though diametrically opposed. Well, uh, Hunter S. Thompson, you mentioned him earlier, the American journalist, he went on tour with the Rolling Stones, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and it, it, it almost killed him. So maybe what what we need to do is is have a proper academic uh, go on tour with some crazy band and see what comes out the other end. I have I tour and my other side of my brain is following my other side. So, okay. so that's well, why that, that's why I'm stuck. I can't write about it, right? Uh, well, you're you're a one man band, but okay, well, good good to know. Uh, but Adil, you you're gonna have to go on tour with Asmund at some point and. Uh, we right, have, we have. We have. We've done we a coaching. We've done South Korea. Yeah, man. That was fun. Okay. We're going to move on, though, to uh, the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest. And Adil Johan's going to go first. Sure. Um, of course, I'm going to recommend my friend's Kenneth Soon's band, Ni Blorong. That's N-Y-I-B-L-O-R-O-N-G. Uh, they were a hardcore band from the scene that we we're talking about. And if you haven't listened to Malaysian thrash metal, you have to at least listen to Chromo, C-R-O-M-O-K. And there's a, there's a nice... And they also do acoustic songs. There's a really nice one called Another You. So please uh, check that out if you're interested in Malaysian heavy metal. And of course, uh, maybe one more. Um, Malaysian hardcore band from the scene, Custom Daisy, just... Just type their name, Custom Daisy, on YouTube and you'll get something interesting. Uh, Asmil, you know these these bands of which he speaks? Yeah, I used to share the bill with Custom Daisy. I think Niblo Rong too, yeah. A few gigs. Just didn't know each other then. Ah. Yeah. Check them out, yeah. So you can find them on YouTube. That's the way to go, is it? The internet's yes. wonderful, man. Yeah. Find anything okay. there. All right. And uh, each song is what? Two minutes? <laughs> How many chords? <laughs> One, two chords? Well, it's a, that's a loaded question, Cam. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, check those out. And um, so, uh, no, so me then. My recommendation is going to go on the music theme, but also 
I'm going to go more old timey than than you young cats. Um, a YouTube channel <clears throat> with a guy called Rick Beato. It's spelled B E A T O. Beato. Rick Beato. He. Uh, Asmo is nodding his head. Do you know of of this guy? No. So he um, he's an American fellow. He's a music musician, music producer, and he he's uh, teaching music really, essentially uh, t- teaching kind of pentatonic scales and uh ear training and but he goes through albums a lot of heavy metal actually um but you know all anglo-american stuff and um and he's just he's really fascinating and, and it's just educational about music uh music theory and the music industry and he's very he's a very good teacher he's very compelling and uh he's got like five million followers on his youtube channel wow <laughs> okay yeah yeah no he's a big deal and he's really good. So my recommendation is go check out Rick Beato. Uh, uh, he is constrained by um, by uh, publishing rights and stuff. So for, he's a lover of the Beatles, say, but he can't really play any Beatles music because the Beatles will block his channel. Um, yeah, so check him out. Uh, Asmil, what's your recommendation? All right. I want to recommend a book that Adil edited called Made in Nusantara. And I had a chapter in there too. So yeah, um, I think you can get a copy of that in Kinokuniya, right? Or even like Gerak Budaya. It's a bit pricey. And that's how academic books are. That's how you can tell it's academic book. Or you mm. can email me or ask <laughs> me. Oh we'll yeah, you can drop out. Something. Yeah, just trust a message somewhere and we will... We'll figure out something. Yeah, we'll figure out something. But yeah, that's my recommendation. The book's called Made in Nusantara. What's it about? It, it's about um, music from the region, really. Um, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, Philippines. And all scholars from that part of the world, and this is part of the larger network that me and Adil are part of, you know, this popular music studies group. Um, so, uh, and, and it's looking at music in the last twenty odd years, to a varying degree, yeah, and also trying to look at the landscape really. That and it's not, it doesn't look at musicology necessarily, but it's really the social and cultural history. The way I put it, I, I could be wrong, Adil, but yeah, it's the social and cultural context and history of music in this region yeah more so the connections i think more than anything the connections of of music in the region so th- thanks very much asmil for that that sounds really good you never told me you did that book I don't, I should, I'll, I'll send you a link i'll send you a link here yeah send me a book <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll work on it okay. we'll sign it for you yeah 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 that sounds really good uh Nusan- nusantara made in nusantara oh made in nusantara okay so uh well Thank you very much. And uh, only remains for me now to thank our special guest, Adil Johan. Thank you. And Asmil Yunor, got any gigs coming up that you'd like to tell us about? Uh, man, I just had one last week. Anyway, yeah, get me another. Uh, next time I have a gig coming up, make sure um, I'll be on the show. And I'll... Okay, but how do we, How do we? if you want to just check in, like, is Asmil playing? Um... Oh, okay. Just check out my Instagram, man, uh, or, or my Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Just Google my name, AZMYL, and those things will disappear. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and Adil, you are academicing now. You've put away the saxophone. You're going to. Oh, no, gigs? saxophone's still here. No gigs, uh, but the band uh, Nadir is uh, working on album number two. So just check out Nadir Music Official, and you should find that. Nadir, that's not like a great name no it? it's like the lowest point is the opposite of the apex <laughs> yeah i know. know why would you yeah. want to <laughs> yeah because that's where good things come from the bottom 
Yeah, okay. man. Yeah. <laughs> people got it wrong, man. Yeah. <laughs> people got it wrong. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thank you very much. And, uh, well, that's goodbye from them. And also goodbye from me, Cam Ruslan. And please join us next week for another exciting episode of A Bit of Culture here on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.